One of the major concerns for any presidential candidate is the matter of electability. There are various studies that one can look at and determine whether or not he or she is electable. Some of those have no, um, no interest in values, no, no, no interest in political views or stances. As a matter of fact, most of the ones I saw were basically on appearance or history. Many people, for example, thought that Ronald Reagan had a distinct advantage during his uh, run for the presidency because he was a movie star and everybody loves movie stars and, and he could uh, set the screen just right and give the appearance that was needed. It did matter how you looked. Interestingly, when God sought out a king for his people Israel, when God was looking for a leader for his great nation, he didn't look on an outward appearance. He didn't look for electability. He didn't seek out someone who just had beauty, although we're told that David was a handsome man. When God sought for a king for his people, his concern was the future leader's heart. In fact, here's what he said to the prophet Samuel when saying to Samuel that David was going to be the man. Here's what he said to the prophet. The Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not look at his appearance. Maybe we could say his electability. Don't look at his appearance or his stature because I've rejected him, talking about Saul. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what's visible, but the Lord sees the heart. I think it's important that we learn the value of the heart. Sometimes we place so much value on appearance, so much value on what we look like or how we talk or, 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 or what we want to do that we don't consider the value that God places on the heart. We're going to be looking for the next several weeks at a man called David. This maverick king that God would choose was a man who was after God's own heart, we're told. Maybe you've heard part of his story, at least, if not the whole. We're going to be observing David's life carefully, and yet as we do, we're going to be looking specifically at David's heart. After all, it was the heart of this maverick king that was important. It was the heart that God looked like, because it was a heart, as we will see later, that God said was like his so there's three questions that I want to ask today or try to entertain today as we dive into this series and, and see what we can learn from the life of David. Uh, three important questions today. First of all, who is David? I don't want to assume that you know about David, and so we'll talk about David just a little bit, who he is. Secondly, why is it important to study his life? If he was an ancient king that lived a thousand years before Christ, why are we talking about him in 2022? And then third, how does David's heart impact my life? In other words, so what? It's good to know the history of Israel, but so what? Where do we take it from there? So first of all, let's talk about David. Who is David? The Apostle Paul spoke about David in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, David is mentioned in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament character. As a matter of fact, Paul was preaching to the Jewish people at Antioch of Pisidia, and he was giving a little bit, re reviewing a little bit of their history, and when he came to a certain point, he mentioned David. Here's what he said, Acts chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, he says, Then they, that is Israel, asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, 
a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David. I love that thought. After removing Saul, God raised up David. He built a king for Israel. He raised up David as their king and testified about him. Here's what he said about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. How much value does God place upon the heart? He says, what I see in David is his heart, a heart that is after my own heart and a heart that will lead him to carry out all my will. In the Old Testament, there's much to be read about David. As a matter of fact, there are more chapters about David than any other Old Testament character, including the likes of Moses and Abraham. Asaph wrote in one of his Psalms a description of this man, David. Here's what he said in Psalm 78. He said, he, that is God, chose David. Now that's an important thing that we'll be talking about throughout this series. He chose David, and then he begins a description. David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. He brought him from tending ewes to be the shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel. His inheritance, he shepherded them with a pure heart. Listen now, David shepherded them, Israel, with a pure heart. Some, some versions say a heart of integrity. We'll talk about that more in a minute. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with his skillful hands. So in the Old Testament, hymn writer Asaph began to talk about David and refresh our minds about him. He described him with two things. He talked about his pure heart and his skillful hands. But notice even before the skillful hands, he mentions the pure heart. Sometimes, certainly David was a man with skillful hands, but sometimes we put so much um, emphasis, so much um, of our attention on the skill of David's hands, feats like slay, slaying a giant Goliath with just a sling and a stone, feats like slaying Philistines, and, 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 and incredible feats of David the warrior and, and David the king. And we think about what he did with his hands, but Asaph says the key is his heart. He led them with a heart of integrity, a heart that was pure. So there's so much we can see and we can note about this man, David. Our approach will be to look at his heart. Well, the story of David begins in a shepherd's field, just outside of the little village of Bethlehem. Today, Bethlehem's a teeming city, but in that day, it was just a little small town, not very many people there, not many people around. Actually, it was almost a suburb of Jerusalem, just a few miles away. And out of the town of Bethlehem were fields, rolling fields, rolling hills that were, were in the uh, summertime, uh, filled with grass and, 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 and pasture for the sheep of the, the city, the farmers that were there. And there we find David in a shepherd's field outside the city, keeping watch over his father's flock. That's right. This maverick king we're going to be looking at, this king who actually led the greatest period of Israel's history, 40 years of unity, he starts in a shepherd's field. I'm not sure what, what that does for his electability, right? He's not an elder statesman. He's not yet a mighty warrior or conqueror. 
He's a shepherd. He's a teenager. But that's where we find him first mentioned. When Samuel went to Jesse's house, because God had said to Samuel the prophet, I'm going to raise up a king and it's going to be a son of Jesse. When when Samuel went to Jesse's house and Jesse began to parade his children, his sons, by the prophet Samuel. He started with the oldest, and when he brought the oldest, and Samuel looked at him and said, no, that's not the one, and, and then the next, and Samuel said, no, it's not him. Seven sons go before Samuel, and each time he says, no, he's not the one. And after the seven, Samuel says, is there not another son? Is this it? And um, Jesse, <laughs> almost like his memory has been jogged, says, well, there is one more, but he's just the youngest, and he's out on the field watching the sheep right now. He's tending to the sheep. There's the beginning. Shepherd boy, David, tending sheep. The next thing we see is David being anointed king as, as Jesse wait, goes to get or sends for David, and he comes while Samuel waits. And when Samuel sees him, he says, this is the one. And then Samuel anoints him to be king. And what happens after that is intriguing to me, and we'll talk more about later. But as Samuel anoints David king, Samuel then goes back to his place, and David goes back to the sheep fields. What? You've just been anointed king over Israel. You're the proclaimed new king. And yet he goes to the sheep field. That's our man David. So why is David important, and why should we even care about this story? Several things come to my mind. First of all, David was the king, as we said, who led the United Kingdom, who led Israel for 40 years combined. David is the one from whom the Messiah would come. It's David's lineage. The Messiah would be born in David's city. David had an impressive lineage, if not an impressive track record. David is a wonderful type of Christ, another whole area that we could explore as we look at his life. But maybe most important, David is a great example to us, or at least important for this study. David is an example of a person whose heart is pleasing to God, a person who has God's heart, a person who loves the things that God loves and abhors the things that God hates. We look at the life of David because we see him in, in him examples that help us to know how to learn and how to grow in our relationship with Christ. So what do we learn about David's early days? <laughs> We're going to look at this for a, pattern, a, 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 a period of weeks. But what do we learn today? As we look at his early days, as we look at those teen years there in the shepherd's field, what do we learn from those days? Well, the first thing I think is important is we learn that God doesn't choose and build people the way we do. Very important. God doesn't choose and build people the way we do. Perhaps that's why those of you who are Christ followers, those of you who have been walking with him for a while, sometimes you're a little bit stupefied. Sometimes you're a little bit confused as to what God's doing in your life because you wouldn't build your life the way he does. Don't be surprised at that. God doesn't choose and build people the way we do. In 1 Samuel 16, as Samuel comes to that place of Jesse, the house of Jesse, and is about to look at the sons, he says something interesting to Jesse. The Lord says something interesting to Samuel to pass on to Jesse. Here's what he said. He said, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I've rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. Humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. 
I think a very important first lesson is that when God builds a life, he starts with a heart. He starts with a heart. There's the value. Too many times we start with actions. We think if we can just change our actions, maybe our attitude and our heart will follow. We think if we can change our appearance, everything will be much better. But God says, no, I want to start with the heart. God doesn't look at things as people do. He sees the heart. God doesn't choose and build people the way we do. Second thing, very important, God is pleased with those who have a heart like his. He says this very clearly to Samuel, I have found one that is after my own heart. Paul told us that God found a man after his own heart. And by the way, I don't have time to unpack that, but it's very significant to me that he mentions that he found a man after God's own heart. David, we will find out, is not perfect. Because he has a heart like God's does not mean he is perfect by any stretch. We'll see that as we move along. But think about this heart that he does have. What can we learn about what God tells us about David's heart? First of all, I think that we see clearly that God is concerned with the spirituality of our heart. He had a heart like his. That is a heart like God's. A man after God's own heart. Maybe some of you heard him described that way. You know, we have to ask that question. What does that mean? A man after God's own heart. What does it mean that he had a heart like his? One of my favorite uh, preachers, I think, summed it up very well. Chuck Swindoll, in his book on David, said it very well. He said, what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? Seems to me it means that you are a person whose life is in harmony with the Lord. What is important to him is important to you. What burdens him burdens you. When he says go to the right, you go to the right. And when he says stop that in your life, you stop it. When he says this is wrong and I want you to change, you come to terms with it because you have a heart for God. That's the bottom line, Swindoll adds, of biblical Christianity. It is that we develop a heart like his. Spirituality is important. Humility is important. I don't think it's by accident or happenstance that we begin the story and look at the life of this noble king of Israel to see that he starts as a humble servant, a shepherd watching over his father's flock. Psalm 78 says, He that is God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. Huh, isn't that important? We see that he's just a lowly shepherd. Showly, uh, shepherds were lowly, lowly folks in that day. It was a boring job, frankly. Um, it was not very exciting. It was not very prominent. It was out away from people. It was a very solitary, lonely job even. But all the lessons that could be learned in humility as he faithfully served his father. And oh, by the way, we'll see that humility move on in his life later. And third, we notice in the heart of David a heart of integrity. Psalm 78 says it this way, he shepherded them, we already read it, he shepherded them or led them with integrity of heart. Integrity, that's perfect. What's that thought? Integrity or, or as the CSB says, purity of heart. Listen to some of the synonyms of the Hebrew word there translated integrity or pure. It's interesting because the synonyms tell us a lot about what he has in mind when he looks at David's heart of integrity. It's translated integrity. It's, in, it's translated complete, whole, innocent, having simplicity of life, 
wholesome, sound, unimpaired. It means being deep bone honest. It means that he is the same in secret that he is in public. What a thought. So there's so much we can learn from David's heart. And as we look at David, we're not going to be compelled to just look at his outward appearance. We want to look at this maverick king's heart. So here's the next, next question and the final question. I wonder, what does it have to do with me? And can God build this kind of heart in me? Could I hope to have be a man after God's own heart? Could I hope to be a woman after God's own heart? Could I hope to be a student after God's own heart? Could I have hope to be a person that has a spiritual humble and heart of integrity? Can I ever get there? Well, when we think about the heart and we think about man, we have a problem, right? Because we know that our hearts are desperate. We know that our hearts, apart from God, are wicked. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way in his prophecy. He said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? <laughs> now, that's pretty plain. It's pretty clear. It doesn't need a lot of commentary. Jeremiah says quickly to us for us to understand that our heart is deceitful and wicked by very nature. Now, it's hard to imagine that when we see a sweet little innocent baby come into the world, and yet we know that our sin is passed through our fathers, and we know that even from the beginning we are all sinners, Romans chapter 3. How do we have any kind of chance and doesn't that somewhat startle us to know that our hearts are wicked? Jeremiah continues and says, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, isn't it interesting that when he talks about the judgment of actions, he also talks about motivation of the heart. Again, our tendency is to ask the question, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? It seems to me that God is asking, what can I be? What will I be? Sometimes I'm thinking that we put too much emphasis on the action and not paying attention to our motives. Here he says, I'm going to examine the secret motives of the heart. Now, frankly, that makes me chill just a little bit. That makes me tremble just a little bit. It's one thing for me to be able to act to fool people by my actions or even with a good attitude. But to know that God looks at my heart, that God is not fooled by what I do on Sunday or what, what I do when, when I'm at church. But God sees my heart and is examining not only what I do, but why I do it. So how do we have a chance? If that's our heart, how can that heart ever become a heart like his? Well, we need a new heart. We need a miracle. We need a miracle heart transplant, if you will. I'm not sure that we need a repaired heart. We don't, we don't need a reconstructed heart. What we need is a new heart. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said it well. God speaking to Ezekiel says, And I will give you a new heart. Heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your old stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I'm sure Paul must have thought about these words when he penned to the Corinthian church that all of us who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. 
right? Old things are past and all things are becoming new. We are new creatures in Christ with new hearts. And that, my friend, is our hope. Our hope is not on our own ability to change our heart. Don't mishear this series of messages. Our own ability is not, or our hope is not in our ability to change our own hearts, but to let God work new hearts in us. God wants to work in your heart. You say, Can, does God even care? Yes. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said an interesting verse that just rings to my ears as I think about this particular thought. Here's what he said to the Philippians. He's giving an introduction, and he's, he's just welcoming the people, really. And in the midst of a wonderful greeting, he says these words. He said, I'm sure of this, that he, speaking of God, he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, he says God starts a work in our hearts and God completes a work in our hearts. When we come to faith in Christ, God starts a work in our hearts. Well, in fact, he begins to work in our hearts even before then, right? But that work begins, that new heart comes. We become a new creation, a a new person in Christ. And then he builds on that work. He works through that for a period of time. It'd be nice if we could come to faith in Christ today and become the Apostle Paul tomorrow. But there's a process involved. God is completing the work. And Paul assures his Philippian friends that one day God will complete the work that he began. God does want to impact our hearts, change our hearts. Do you want a heart like his? God wants us to have a heart like his. It's pleasing to him that we have such a heart. As we see God working in the life of young David, he wants to work in your life and mine. He wants to bring us to him and to grow us into his likeness so that when people see our hearts, they see his heart. When people see my heart, they see God's heart. You see, this is not all about me and me having a special heart. This is all about our glorious Heavenly Father and us seeing His heart in our heart. So where do we start? So how do we start with this? If you're a little frustrated at the moment and saying, well, yeah, I'd like to have that. I have no idea where to start. How do I start patching together this life? How do I start allowing God to build this life that you're talking about, Eddie? Well, I think simply put this. Where do I start? Start where God starts with your heart. Start where God starts with your heart your heart. He says, I see your heart. He saw David's heart. That's where it started. He's a man after my own heart. He didn't talk about his skills with a sling, even though he would need those skills to slay Goliath. He didn't talk about his leadership skills, although he became a natural leader as his mighty men followed him. He didn't talk about his skills as an orator, although he wrote many wonderful psalms and verses. No, when he started, he started with the heart, and he said, it's his heart that grabs my attention. It's his heart that gives him the potential to go. When you start, start with your heart. Examine your heart and then guard your heart. Examine your heart. Examine not just what you do, but why you do it. Which leads me to the second thing, which may be a good practice. (laughs) If we just want to get really practical about the matter, maybe While you're searching your heart, while you're asking, what should I do? You also don't forget to ask, why am I doing it? Right? While you're doing the things that you feel you should do, wonderful. But maybe you should ask, why 
as much as what? Not just what am I doing. Why am I doing it? Not just what am I doing. Oh, I'm going to church every Sunday, Pastor Eddie. I'm going to church once a month. I'm, I'm putting the money in the chest. You know, I'm reading my Bible at least once a week. I'm, yeah, I don't know what your checklist looks like, the things that, the what's that you're doing. But here's the real question. Maybe you should be asking why. If God looks at the intents and the motives of our heart, perhaps that should be important. So I want to leave you with this takeaway today and really kind of want to wrap this first series up with this because I think this is important for us to know. It's even more important perhaps for some of you who have been followers of Christ for some time. But even those of you who are, exa- or who are looking at Christ, so those of you who are, are trying to figure out a relationship with Christ, those of you who are trying to determine if you want a relationship with Christ, it will help you to know. The takeaway I think that's clear is this. When God is shaping our hearts... He's never in a hurry. (laughs) Yeah, don't get discouraged. Yeah, when God is shaping your heart, He's never in a hurry. He'll wait. He'll work with you for an entire lifetime. As an artist works carefully, patiently with the clay, as the sculptor works carefully with the rock, as a painter works patiently and carefully, meticulously with his painting, God is doing a piece of art in you, and He will do it slowly. It's all right. It's a day-by-day process. Thank God for a shepherd boy who shows us that God takes nobodies and makes them into kings. God takes people who are nothing more than little shepherd boys and places them in positions where he wants him to be. So whatever God's calling you to, find comfort. I'd like to leave you this morning with one of David's psalms. (laughs) Yeah, David was a songwriter among other things, and he wrote many psalms, some we're familiar with and some we aren't. I thought I would leave you with one today, and by the way, later in the week you might go to our website and check out our more page, and there um, uh, Jeff is going to unpack this psalm a little bit more, but let me just read it to you. Could I, to just conclude our time together? Here's what David wrote. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, I don't know if he wrote this when he was a shepherd. I I don't think anybody does. I don't know if it was while he was watching over sheep and under the starry night and we could make it all nice and and cozy. I don't know if it was then. I I don't know if it was later. Maybe it was in the days when he was struggling in a cave that we'll talk about. Maybe it was the days after he'd become king and the pressures of being the monarch were pressing down on him. Maybe it was a time when his family was divided and, and struggling. I don't know when he wrote the song, but certainly as he wrote the song, he was thinking back to his early days when he was a shepherd watching over sheep in Bethlehem, when he was a shepherd protecting his sheep from the lions and the bears, and when he was a shepherd leading them to cool waters to drink and green grass to eat. He was certainly thinking of those things when he wrote these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live.
I'm so looking forward to the days ahead. I hope you'll join us again next week as we talk more about this incredible maverick king and his heart. In the meantime, people are waiting to pray with you. Maybe there's a need on your heart right now. Perhaps you've been thinking about coming to faith in Christ and you'd like someone to help you, to guide you there, to pray with you. Somebody's waiting just now. Maybe you just want somebody to talk to. Maybe you just want somebody to share thoughts with, maybe to pray right now. I encourage you, reach out. We're so glad you joined us. Let me pray for you, could I? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, your kindness, and your mercy. Thank you, Father, that you are looking for just ordinary nobodies like me. <laughs> God, you want to change my heart and make my heart new. And you want to grow my heart into your image. God, as we surrender to you today, use us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.